0: Thank you for joining us today for On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher. As a Christian mom for over 40 years and a teacher of the Bible in public schools for 25 years, Rhody will take you on a journey with some of her friends as they share their experiences and testimonies from their walk with Christ. You'll see that you are not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. Welcome to On the Road with Jesus. Now, here's your host, Rodie Fisher.
1: Good morning and welcome to On the Road with Jesus. We're in um, Psalm 102, but before I start, let's pray. Father, we just thank you for being here this morning and we thank you for this day. Be with our words and um, that we're going to speak and with my speaker, Jeff, Lord, also with Bill as he works the camera especially the listeners, Lord, give them ears to hear um, what you would have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us. We're in Psalm 102, and I am reading out of the New American Standard today. I'm going to read half the psalm, so um, here we go. Verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. In the day when I call, answer me quickly. For my days have been consumed in smoke, and my bones have been scorched like hearth. My heart has been smitten like grass and has withered away. Indeed, I forget to eat my bread. Because of the loneliness of my groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I resemble a pelican of the wilderness. I have become like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I have become like a lonely bird on the housetop. My enemies have reproached me all day long. Those who derive me have used my name as a curse. For I have eaten ashes like bread, and mingled my drink with weeping, because of your indignation and my wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me away. My days are like a lengthened shadow, and like a withered away, like grass. But you, O Lord, abide forever, and your name to all generations." You will arise and have compassion on Zion, for it is time to be gracious to her. For the appointed time has come. Surely your servants have find Surely your servants find pe- pleasure in their her stones, and feel pity for her dust. I'm going to end it there at um, verse 14. Thank you for your word, Lord. And I'm going to introduce my guest this morning. You probably have seen him before. I think you've been on my show six times, Mm -hmm. six or eight times. So he is a frequent speaker on my show. And I want to thank him again for coming back on the show. And I know that you guys are going to be happy about that because um, you've given me a lot of comments in the past about how grateful you are for his um, insight. So thank you Jeff, for being on the show.
2: My pleasure.
1: Okay. Um, Jeff, I I forgot to mention your last name. It's Jeff Cran. I am so sorry. But, Jeff, I'd like for the, the guests to get to know you a little bit. And for some of them, they haven't heard you before. So if you could talk a little bit about your background, where you grew up, what your dynamics, your home dynamics was, and also up to and including your testimony. And I'm going to give you about 10 minutes to, to talk about that.
2: Okay. Uh, it's good to be back again. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed last time. And uh, it was probably the first time my wife was ever on radio. So that was exciting for her. Um I grew up in a reformed Jewish home. In the, Well, I shouldn't say reformed. I grew up in a Jewish home in which my mother was from a Orthodox conservative practicing family. My father was less observant. Uh, his parents came over from Russia later. Um, they were more secular uh, and less observant. So there was a different dynamic there. Uh, my mother did not like certain aspects of her background and her experience with the synagogue. Uh, My dad uh, had real questions even about the existence of God. And her father was the one who really acted as a spiritual mentor. He made sure that I went to Hebrew school, uh, made sure I got a Jewish education. Um, And from that education, I did learn something. The front part of my Bible taught me that God was the good king, uh, as well as the Jewish blessings. Uh, and uh, he did have a love for his creation, he did have a love for people, but that's uh, as far as it went. Uh, I was zealous for the traditions of my forefathers to a certain extent, Uh, but growing up in a home with my dad who was an agnostic and poo-pooed such things, um, there was just a how far do I go with this sort of feel, Um, and... uh, When I was in high school, there were not a lot of Jewish girls around. And so I met a Catholic girl that is not the woman I ended up bearing. Uh, And uh, we went through the high school sweetheart thing. Uh, And uh, we started college. And usually that's when you go to different locations. And I was a, a very moral individual. I grew up with a strong sense of duty and honor. And uh, my parents said that, that I did not get into trouble. Trouble found me. Uh, and so uh, the first year of college, uh, we had been separated, but we had this idea that we were going to have the white picket fence and the 2.3 children, and all the same thing was going to be beautiful. And uh, we got a little bit more involved than my conscience would be comfortable with. And uh, it's there that I met the Navigators. I had never heard of the Navigators uh had no idea what a navigator was, and uh, they asked me if I was willing to go to a Purity in Life, uh, a conference. Would you like to go to a ski weekend? I thought, well, this is fun. I'll go with my friends to a ski weekend. This sounds great. And so I went to this weekend, and they had a Purity in Life seminar. And uh, at the Purity in Life seminar, they stressed moral purity in certain areas with young men. And I realized that I had violated my standards, so I certainly had violated God's standards. Uh, Prior to that, it's not as though I never felt guilt, but this was a little different. Uh, Jewish kids really don't grow up with the idea of a sin nature. They grow up with the idea that if you transgress the law, you've sinned. And if you don't transgress the law, you haven't sinned. Uh, And so uh, I was then stuck with the issue of atonement. Uh, which is a key issue for Jews and for Muslims. As I've talked to Muslims at the uh, mosque, I find out that they have no concept of blood atonement either. Uh, And so I then had to figure out how one regained relationship with the king of the universe. And so that's when I discovered the gospel according to Moses, which is Leviticus 17.11 where the shedding of blood provides atonement. God gave it, I gave it to you upon the altar to to make atonement for your souls. It is the shedding of blood which makes atonement by reason of the life in it. Uh, but Judaism had no blood atonement. There was no blood. Uh, and there was no other biblical mechanism uh, that didn't include blood atonement in any way. And so I found out that Judaism had a bunch of made-up stuff by the rabbis that was supposed to substitute for the temple system, which is no longer in existence. Well, since I had gone through the study on the Gospel of John and wrestled with the Trinity, which I did, and found, starting with Deuteronomy 6, 4 and on, that plurality in the Godhead, that first objection that would have immediately kicked in didn't. So when I went to this conference, the Trinity was no longer a big enough objection to stop me from searching, which it would have been before. So there are at least two issues that the Jewish people and Muslims have in common. One is the, the Trinity and the other is blood atonement. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I had gone through John in this Bible study uh, that was connected with this campus group uh, and um I went home. Now, John didn't make a lot of sense to me. I know I can see now how Jewish people could read it, and some have come to faith through it. Uh, But I have to admit, it didn't make a lot of sense to me, so I started reading Matthew. And my reasoning was that I made the mistake of reading the end of the story before I read the beginning. So I would start from the beginning, and it would make sense. And that's when I really ran into the Jesus I didn't know Because my pictures of Jesus were that he was Swedish, possibly Italian. And I ran into a real Jewish guy talking to Jewish people about Jewish things and walking around in all places of the world in Israel. And had no idea that this is who Jesus was. And Matthew kept doing this, it is written, it has been fulfilled. This was written in order to fulfill the prophet so-and-so. So as I was reading through Matthew, I had to figure out, well, maybe Matthew just doesn't know his Bible very well. So I began to look at Matthew, and then I began to look up Messianic prophecy to see if maybe Matthew was maybe crazy. And what I started seeing was the way Matthew was using Messianic prophecy made sense. And Jesus seemed to fulfill those prophecies. And so now I encountered a Jewish Jesus who seemed to have fulfilled those prophecies. And according to the Gospel of Matthew, could provide the blood atonement that Judaism did not have. Wow. Well, at about that time, my dad discovered that Navigators was not a yacht club because he kept my checkbook. And so he brought me the checkbook and asked when I had joined a yacht club and when I had planned to get my first yacht sort of thing. And I explained to him that it was indeed a Christian organization. Now, you have to know my dad's the agnostic who used to argue with my grandfather about the existence of God, who was the Orthodox Jew. But you have to understand Jewish people, even Jewish people that don't practice Judaism or even believe anything that Judaism teaches are culturally Jews. It's identity that is the issue for them. So he said, well, my Jewish son I'm putting through college, my Christian son I'm not. In other words, our family identity is at stake. It's threatened. And so I want to tell you what it's going to cost you. Well, I didn't go back to the same college. I then ended up at Southern Illinois University where I found the other Christians. How did I find them? They prayed before they ate. Mm. So I looked for that. Wow. Because I had figured that much out from when I was at Drake University, the other university before. I watched Christians and I watched what they did. Mm -hmm. And so I looked around and I saw a few other guys on my dorm floor who bowed their head and prayed before they ate. And I could pick them out as Christians. And so I started hanging around with them, and they were part of a little group called Neighborhood Bible Fellowship, run by one of the best exegetical Bible teachers I've ever met, Glendale Tony.
1: Now, I'm going to have to stop you, because at this point, you're still not a Christian. You're still kind of walking on the edge.
2: I'm still walking on the edge. Wow. I'm checking out the edges of the kingdom.
1: Yes, and for some reason, even though I've interviewed you before, I didn't get that, but that is such, such an amazing thing. So you're still researching.
2: I'm still researching oh, because wow. to me, that's what I did. Yeah. Uh, and so um, I ran into these guys and I figured out they were Christians. And I ended up at Southern Illinois uh, University at this Christian student club. Okay. Um, with my dad's words still sort of ringing in my head. Because he's still paying the bill for college. (laughs) And ran into Glendale Tony, uh, who I've had on my show. He's like my spiritual father. And he's still around, uh, writing some books, doing a podcast. He's still around to this day, doing exactly what he was doing when I was there, which is going through the Bible verse by verse. Uh, And I asked questions. And so I would sit there with questions. Uh, and more questions, and ask Glendale questions, and ask other people questions. Uh, And hang around these Christians who I found to be absolutely fascinating. Uh, And so I'm hanging around Neighborhood Bible Fellowship, continuing to kind of research this out. And one of my struggles was I'm going to be the first person who ever did this, so I have no idea what life looks like afterwards. Until I run into another guy from a Jewish background who makes a profession of faith. I don't think it was real, but it was God's timing. And he still got used. And uh, he starts, and, and through that I start to realize that maybe I'm not the first person who ever thought of this. Uh, so I'm sitting in this, I'm hanging around these Christians, I'm continuing to go ahead and study the issues. And Glendale plays on his guitar, Deuteronomy six four which to me was a life verse and is recited by Orthodox Jews three to four times a day. It's called the Shabbat. Now, Glendel isn't meaning to play this in Hebrew. He's playing it in English. It's a wonderful song. You shall love the Lord your God, the two greatest commandments. But he doesn't know as he's playing it that he's playing it in English, and I'm hearing it in Hebrew. Mm. So I grab this young man named Jonathan, who was this guy from a Jewish background, and I had had a Gideon Bible which I had kept kind of secret from my dad
1: mm.
2: and uh, cause it was mine. And so, you know um, and uh, I go back to Jonathan's room and I was really struggling with this. There was no turning back. Once I did this, I knew how my parents would feel about it. And so ultimately God kind of speaks to my heart. It's not an audible voice. It's that sense of your conscience is just telling you something, but, but in a way that was so direct. And it was essentially this. You can be called loyal to me, the God of your forefathers, and be a traitor, or you can be called a traitor and be loyal to me, the God of your forefathers.
1: Mm.
2: I finished by reading Daniel 70 Weeks of Seven and came to the conclusion that whether I understood it all and whether I could be sure beyond 100%, that there was no other candidate for a Messiah before 70 A.D. Therefore, there's only one candidate that fits the bill that came at the right time, and that was Jesus. Jonathan had fallen asleep on the couch, (laughs) because this is 12.05 in the morning. Uh, And so on September 5th at 12.05 at 1981, I go to God and basically say, I believe that Jesus is my Messiah and sin bearer, and you're going to have to support me because my dad is going to have a real problem with this and sign that first Gideon Bible, which I think is still in a safe upstairs. Wow. Uh, and that's kind of the, the story in a, in a nutshell.
1: Well, you're leaving us hanging because your parents do find out. And, <laughs> and so there is that to deal with.
2: My mother hated what I had done, but she was a mom. And so she did her thing. Um, I like to say I've been dead and resurrected more times than Lazarus. Uh, my dad thing, did things like, um, okay, I'm going to take you to the rabbis to talk with them. And I said, great, I'd love to share what I've discovered. And second thought, uh, he kind of changed his mind about that. Things have settled down. I started calling it My Little Sect, and then there were other family dynamics that kicked in. And essentially now, uh, he disagrees, but he's not super heated about it anymore. And during the COVID time period, we had some really good discussions, even Mm -hmm. recently. So, My mom has passed away, which is a story in itself. Uh, Her parents were gone at the time I came to faith. My dad's parents were around. Uh, I tried to share with them uh that led to a second round of explosion, but that finally settled down uh My dad's big line is if you're going to go ahead and share with people, couldn't you go to the pygmies or something and leave our people alone mm-hmm. uh and that didn't happen
1: <laughs> well you know it it's it's a desire for our family you know whether you're whether you're in a Jewish family or something else it's once you become a christian it's our desire for our loved ones to come to know christ and at any cost and so that's that's the desire of our heart and i can see why you took that risk because eternity is a long time and you want your family to be there but on the other hand at that point you you really have to leave them in god's hands and say okay god you, for some reason, saved me out of all gen, you know, these generations. I don't know why. I'm grateful for that. But you've got to take care of them. I've done my very best, and you've got to take care of them. And and, and who knows what God has done at, at the threshold of when they've taken their last breath. Yeah. Just have to trust.
2: Uh, and over and over again, I mean, one of the big lines was, you mean to tell me your Orthodox grandparents are in hell? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you're telling me my parents are in hell and I remember saying to my mother I'm not responsible for telling you where they are I'm responsible for telling people how to get there yeah I'm not a judge, I'm a tour guide
1: yeah, that's good anyway, um, thank you for sharing that and it was good for me to hear it again because there were obviously a big part of it that I didn't know so that was good to hear and I thank the Lord for saving you also, I would like to bring up a really big subject out here and it is something that you're well versed in and I'd like for to for the viewers and the listeners to know a little bit more about that. And that is progressive revelation. Big subject. Um, so where do you begin?
2: Well, I begin by by explaining that. Uh, you know, we are here, or I am here at the Ministry to Muslims conference. Uh, Muslims uh, have a real issue because what they believe in is what's called abrogation. And I remember being in a church and the pastor ended up saying, yeah, we believe in abrogation too. And I was, I was horrified. And as a missionary, you have to tread lightly, but, but I talked to him later, you know, over coffee, I had to, and I said, you know, Pastor, we believe in progressive revelation, not abrogation. So let me explain the difference between the way the Muslim understands his book being transmitted. And by his book, I mean the Quran. Mm-hmm. Muslims believe that the Quran was given directly from Allah, which is their title for their deity. I'm not going to say that the Allah of the Quran is the same as the God of the Bible. Okay, but that's their term for God. Uh, handed the Quran or gave the Quran to Muhammad. And Muhammad ended up uh, basically reciting it to people, and then they ended up being the copyist. All right, so their view uh, is a little different. Uh, our Bible came through; uh, it's in sixty-six books. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a library. Our Bible is not a book; it's actually a library of books that all have one message, which itself is incredible. Now, in the Quran, we have verses that don't match. And, and Muslims are not unaware that there are things that don't seem exactly the same. But they'll say that some verses uh, abrogate or negate other verses. In fact, there's a verse in the Quran where essentially Muhammad is told uh, that if if I replace one verse with another, that's perfectly fine. Okay? Uh, and so they have what's called abrogation, where one verse can uh, negate or be in contradiction to another. Now, for our Western mindset, that creates a real problem because we honestly believe in the law of non-contradiction, and so does your Muslim, but abrogation gives him a way out. Mm -hmm. All right, so in abrogation, there's an exchange for one thing for another. It's a replacement. Um, what's important for us to understand is what we mean by progressive revelation. In progressive revelation, there is not a, a separation, there's not a substitution, there is an addition. So what God is doing is adding new information to the old information over time in order to complete the story, like, by, like being an author, Okay, and writing several chapters of a book, and you add a new chapter of a book, well, when Jane Austen writes a new chapter in Pride and Prejudice, it doesn't negate every other chapter she wrote. Okay, That's progressive revelation. God gives new information. But what your Muslim will say to you is your Bible's changed too, and they'll point to distinctions between the New and Old Testament. And they'll say, well, in the Old Testament, we have these wars where the Israelites are told to wipe someone out, but in the New Testament... You're telling us that you know, you're know you supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and Jesus is about loving our neighbor. And so it seems as though there's an abrogation. Uh, and so you Christians are guilty of abrogation the same way we are. Um, I remember being at the mosque here at the conference, and one guy asked me why I didn't dress like Jesus. Why don't you dress like Jesus? Where's your toga? Where's your, you know? And, and apologists learn as they go along, too, And I thought, you know what I should have asked him is how he got to the mosque that day. And if he said he drove, I'd say, why don't you travel like Muhammad?
1: Yeah, really.
2: And so he was pointing to this abrogation thing. And so for the Muslim, the differences between New and Old Testament become a lever that they can use against Christians to try to say there's really no difference between you and us. We believe in abrogation. You believe in abrogation. We don't believe in abrogation.
0: That's the end of part one. Tune in next week for part two of this On the Road with Jesus episode. Thank you for being here today for On the Road with Jesus with your host, Rhodey Fisher. Every week, you'll hear experiences and testimonies from her and her friends as they share their journey with Jesus. You'll see that you're not alone in your search for God, your victories with Him, or your failures. If you have a question about today's show, email Rody fisher at raw fisher at ontheroadwithjesus.com. Spelled RAH Fisher at on the RHODE with Jesus.com. Or leave a voicemail at 951-817-0094. That's 951-817-0094. On the Road with Jesus is sponsored by Global Expressions Language Project. Learn more at asquaredlamps.org. That's the letter A, squaredlamps.org. Be sure to join us each week at this same time for more On the Road with Jesus, hosted by Rhody Fisher.